Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Outdoor Edge knows that providing a freezer full of meat is part of the reason we all hunt. And what better way to bring it full circle than to process your own wild game? Outdoor Edge provides a full lineup of traditional and replaceable blade hunting knives and complete wild game processing kits to bring your wild game from the field to the freezer. Visit OutdoorEdge.com and at checkout, enter the discount code N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast brought to you by Tacticamp. This is your home for all things outdoors in the Badger State, and I am your host, Josh Raley. Thanks so much for tuning in this week here in the middle of August. When this episode launches, we will be roughly one month away from the September 17th archery opener here in Wisconsin. I don't know about you, but I'm getting fired up. Uh, I'm actually looking forward to kicking my season off a little bit earlier likely in South Carolina sometime around the first not positive on that yet I know it's a little late to be saying that that's not set in stone yet but still working out some details and some plans for that then I'm going to be hunting some in Georgia their opener is on September 10th my birthday is September 11th and I've not ever gotten a hunt on my birthday before so really looking forward to that but for the Wisconsin opener uh, just a few short weeks away. I hope you're all caught up uh, on the whitetail chores. Hopefully you've been, you know, shooting your bow. Hopefully your cameras are out, your food plots are planted uh, to take advantage of some of the rain that looks like is in the forecast over the next couple of days. But in case you're like me and you're really, really, really behind, this episode is all about last minute whitetail prep. I've got my good friend Sam Billhorn on the show again this week to talk about just that. Sam owns Whitetail Partners, and he specializes in habitat design and hunting consultation. Sam has worked on many properties in Wisconsin to help landowners take their property and their hunting to the next level. I actually got to spend some time with Sam in the field this past spring doing a little bit of habitat work, and man, I was amazed to see one of his property designs being implemented on the ground. If you own hunting property, whether big or small, and you want to refine it to improve your deer hunting and your consistency in seeing mature bucks, I really think you should give Sam a call. I do not think that you will be disappointed with that. Today we're talking last minute season prep, and we kind of cover it both for the public land guy and for private land hunters. Now, last minute prep is going to look very different for guys that have the ability to manipulate their land, groom access trails, plant food plots, that kind of stuff, versus the guy who's kind of stuck with what he's got, whether maybe he's on public ground or he's on permission ground that he just doesn't have the freedom to do much to. So this conversation is relevant for pretty much anyone who's uh, maybe a little bit behind the eight ball when it comes to being ready for season. Or maybe, maybe you think you've got your bases covered and the things that we discuss here will hopefully serve as a checklist and a reminder uh, of maybe something that you've left out of your prep, maybe something that you haven't thought of up until this point. 
Either way, though, archery season is a month away, and it is time to get fired up, geared up, dialed in so that you are ready for the opener, and this episode is going to help you do that. A little bit of housekeeping, though, before we hear from Sam. If you haven't already, do all the good things that I ask you to do every single week. Follow along with me on Instagram. Leave this podcast a review wherever it is that you catch these episodes. Share these episodes with a buddy. Man, we've been on a roll here lately. Downloads are looking good, and I want to keep it that way. I want to continue to grow this thing so that I can keep bringing you better and better content every single week. You helping spread the word helps make that happen. Next, I got to say a big thanks to the partners who support this show. Tacticam, they are our title sponsor here at the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast. They're also the title sponsor of my other show, the How to Hunt Deer Podcast. Absolutely love working with these guys. If you're looking to add a couple more trail cameras to your arsenal this year, go check out the Reveal X Gen 2 or the new Reveal Pro. Those things are packed with features. They're budget-friendly, and they take great quality photos and videos. Tacticam is also running an archery gear-up sale right now. You can snag their 6.0 point-of-view camera, a stabilizer mount, an extra battery, and some scrape fix for just $320. That's $90 off of the normal retail value. And man, that 6.0 camera is sweet. It has taken user-friendly to a whole new level. The screen on there is fantastic. Uh, You know, honestly, I don't even know if I'm going to carry my big camera into the woods with me. This fall, I need a little bit of time with the 6.0 to kind of figure out whether I want to do that or not. But man, having something right there where I can play it back immediately, gosh, that that's a huge benefit. So uh, you might want to check this thing out. Head over to their website to learn more, tacticam.com or revealcellcam.com. Also, Huntworth, I was out uh, this past week, actually, on Friday, scouting a new piece of public ground, a huge chunk of land, 20 plus thousand acres. It was hot, it was buggy, it was humid. But I wanted to get some cameras out in some oaks near some thermal hub type of areas. Uh, I was, of course, rocking the Durham lightweight pants. They were just flawless, kept me nice and cool. Uh, But it was my first time really putting some miles on with the Lodi lightweight pack. And, you know, I've had it down here in my basement and I've been packing and repacking and that kind of stuff to figure out how I'm going to like it for the season. But this was my first time to kind of be out with a load in it. Had a bunch of cameras in it, some water, a climbing stick attached to the outside. And man, that thing is awesome. As of right now, it is my favorite hunting pack by far and will be my go-to for trail camera missions from here on out. Might be my go-to for the whole season. Right now, they're running a sale to help you get all the gear you need for the archery opener. You can use the code PRE30 for 30% off of your purchase over at their website, huntworthgear.com. Next up, Deer Lab. It's a no-brainer at this point. Like I've said it before, one of the things I notice about guys who kill big deer consistently is that they're really keying in on what specific bucks or maybe bucks in their area seem to do from year to year. And they make their moves based on that. Well, Deer Lab lets you easily keep track of that kind of stuff. And it helps you keep track of all kind of other variables as well, like weather, moon phase, etc. You can go to their website, DeerLab.com, for a free 30-day trial. And when I say free, I mean free with no strings attached. There's no credit card required or anything like that. So you can go try it for free for 30 days. Then whenever you're ready to buy it, you can use the code WISCONSIN, all caps, for 20% off of any plan. Big thanks to those partners. Now go show them some love. Get yourself geared up for the season. And now let's jump into the meat and potatoes of this week's episode with Sam Billhorn. Back on the show with me today is Sam Billhorn from Whitetail Partners. Sam, welcome back to the show. 
Hey, good to be here, Josh. Thanks for having me back. Hey, glad to have you back on. This uh, This episode is going to be launching when we're about a month out from archery openers around the country. Well, archery openers in Wisconsin specifically, but that mid-September time frame seems to be uh, pretty popular. I know states like Minnesota and others are coming in right around that time frame. So I wanted to have you back on and talk a little bit about uh, last-minute season prep. I know me personally, I'm extremely behind. I had a move here in the middle of the summer, which changed a lot of things for me. Uh, and, you know, I can get into more of that on a, on a future episode maybe. But, uh, you know, a lot of folks are staring down the barrel of, hey, I don't have a lot of time left to get out in the woods. I've got a limited number of weekends to really invest in my property, invest in my hunting strategy for the year before it's go time. So I wanted to have you on and just say, all right, Sam, what do we do? Man, we got a, we've got a month left. It's crunch time. What are we working on? And maybe you can approach this from two different directions. So you've got guys like yourself that have some property where uh, you can manipulate the property. You can really dial in stand sites. You can work on access. You can clear areas. Then you got the guy who is maybe working with permission property or a piece of public that, you know, they're limited with what they can do. They may not even be able to leave stands up on these specific properties. So thinking from these two directions, maybe the best way to kick it off is just to say, Sam, what's on your to-do list here in the last month heading into the season? Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Josh. And you know what, with anyone, uh, with, well, I should say with all of us, summer, it gets busy. Things get, uh, you know, out of hand at times. I mean, we're all, a lot of us chasing kids and family and baseball tournaments and all these different things. I know I spent a lot of time on the baseball diamond here this summer and and that's okay. You know, hunting is meant to be fun. And I think sometimes that we uh, can get a little stressed out about our land and our, you know, wanting to get ready. And that's, and that's fine too, because we're, we get excited about things uh, like that. But, you know, just, I think I always tell people, take a deep breath and enjoy it because it, it's yeah. supposed to be fun too. And, and, uh, and the project's fun as well. A lot of the clients I have and the buddies I talk to and, you know, everybody we, we uh, interact with, it's, it's just, Hey, get out there and enjoy it because the projects are, can be a lot of fun too. And as we continue to build on our land and, and we're getting into our, I think it's our, our fifth season here now, it's, um, it's really rewarding to look back at everything that's been done and remember that, you know, you aren't going to get this all done at once. And, yeah. and I think it's important to maintain that perspective, but, you know, specifically getting to the task at hand, there are things that need to be done and, you know, for those that pri- with private land, especially if you've been working it for some time, you have you might have your established stand locations. Um, and what I always like to tell people with those is, you know, the, the big things you want to do is you don't want to get in the stand and be disappointed. You know, you want to make sure that stand, I always preach safety. You got to make sure that your straps are good and stand secure, uh, uh, all those, those things, get your lifelines up. And, you know, make sure that the stand is, is ready for you to, to be in there. The last thing you want to do is go to a stand on, uh, you know, that, that first hunt and not be able to, to use it. Um, so simple things like that. Uh, but strategically is a big one's hunter access. Uh, we have defined uh, hunter access routes that are different from how we access them in the, in the summertime and maintenance. You know, a lot of this is uh, the strategic part of it is, is that perimeter access. You're coming you know, into the stand from a perpendicular direction that isn't the pattern you're hunting. You know, you don't, you don't want to approach on the, on the game trail, on the deer trail, so to speak. Um, you want to get at it uh, from behind. So 
for us, that means checking that. A lot of times we're, we're, we're mowing that. We have a, one of the best tools a guy can have is a walk behind brush mower, getting that cleared off. Some of these were even, you know, raking some sticks out and things like that. So making sure you have good access, a good, good stand set up. Um, one of the things back on stands, just for a second, we, we keep a log of all our stands of when the straps have been replaced and things like that. And I think that's important to, to make sure you're up on, but, um, shooting lanes, if you've had those pretty well defined, uh, you're probably in good shape that way, but, uh, it's never too late to check those. Um, and we're still here, you know, thinking mid August, you're still a, a month away from opener and probably six, eight weeks away from real buck hunting time. And I think it's important to remember that with the fall shift of whitetails because of the changing habitat, changing food sources, all that is it's better to get this work done even in August and the early September than it is to uh, think you're going to impact your woods and impact your hunt uh, and not get it done. So, you know, getting after those stand locations um, specifically to the pinch points and your mock scrapes and things like that, making sure your, your scrape is set, your, um, you know, it's cleared off. Maybe that corridor in front of the stand is, has been cleared out. So basically, you know, kind of rattling through the checklist of all those things as it associates with a permanent stand location uh, and making sure that those are set because the, you're not doing major habitat manipulation this time of year, your bedding areas, you're uh, getting kind of late for food plots, although we can talk about that here too. Um, and uh, that kind of covers it as far as the hunting piece of private land. Um, moving into you know public land setups or maybe permission hunts, people have places to go that way. Um, is especially maybe it's something new to you. It, I think spending time studying the land, uh, even virtually through Onyx or other uh, topo maps and things like that to, to know where some of those new points you might do well to hunt, finding changes in topography funnels, uh, you know, where inside corners and timber and fence lines and things like this that are, you know, some of the go-tos for, uh, hunting locations to, to look at those and say, you know, maybe I'm going to try to do a setup there. Maybe you're a saddle hunter, maybe you're portable, you know, you're, you're a mobile hunter and you're going to maybe go in and prep a couple of those locations. So when you get there, they're set to go, uh, kind of think about your best access route in and basically all the stuff I've just rattled through in the private and uh, do that as it applies to where you're going to be hunting in the public end. Um, and then obviously with either one, uh, cameras, you know, getting cameras, uh, in those locations and starting to make that shift to fall, uh, planning. So, you know, trail cameras are good to have in wide open areas, food sources, that sort of thing in the summer, just to see kind of who's hanging out, who's there. But as we shift here to fall, and usually I do that shift around Labor Day is to, uh, get those cameras more to those hunting locations and travel pinch points so you know what's going on so kind of rattled yeah. through a whole bunch but what were, where are you at with uh with your thoughts here yeah no that that's really good i, I want to circle back to one thing you mentioned a little bit earlier and uh you said we're you know six six or so weeks away from from real buck hunting when when a lot mm -hmm. of things start to kick off how much early season uh hunting are you doing or are you really just you know early seasons for does or for, for whatever. And, and then I want to really target in on my mature bucks the last week or so of October. Yeah. 
awesome question and, and good for people to think about that calendar and the time frame. So for us, we're never anticipating a buck hunter trying to have a buck hunt really in the first month of the season. I mean, the only reason we are is if we have one on a pattern, a summer pattern, especially that we know where they're feeding. And this is all through camera intel um, and perhaps even some live scouting. If we, we know we got them, we're going to go in and try and kill them. But that's not usually our anticipation. Again, back to that shift that occurs. And for us, let's say just, you know, averaging out Wisconsin, it's going to be uh, end of September. And we're going to see those bucks move. They're going to, bucks that I have pictures of now, I won't have pictures of necessarily come fall uh, or vice versa. I'll get pictures in the fall of deer I haven't seen all summer. They're moving into more desirable habitat because it's changing. So several things with that they have, once they, they're getting rid of their velvet here, they're going to be less sensitive to uh, brush and uh, more of a closed uh, environment in, in the timber, you know, where they're, they're going to be seeking out uh, thicker areas and uh, looking for that, especially as, uh, you know, things start to turn, turn in the fall and, all the foliage comes down and everything. They're, they're looking for more of those brushy bedding areas and more remote locations, but also then the food. So as we get into fall, you're seeing uh, a lot the agricultural fields harvested. Um, a lot of the browse is changing and going away. And then for those of us with private land that develop food plots, uh, you know, we're peaking at that time and, and hopefully attracting bucks uh, from that standpoint. Yeah, I talked with uh, a guy the other day on my other podcast, How to Hunt Deer, uh, a guy named Jake Bush. And one of the things we talked about was early season. Uh, he 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 really likes to focus on early season. He loves to hunt that mm-hmm. opening day or, you know, first week or two of the season. And he's had a lot of success in Ohio. And when he talks about patterning bucks that time of year, though, he's talking about like a three-day pattern or a five day pattern or something like that because of how quickly everything is changing in the woods. And if you, if you own a piece of ground, let's say, and it's not a massive piece where you're pretty confident you're going to hold the deer. If you're going in on a, on a low odds day, like a September afternoon, uh, hoping for, to catch that deer on, on a three or a five day pattern, you have a lot of opportunity to bust that deer out of there. And to lose mm-hmm. him off your property potentially, or to to push him into being even more reclusive as you head into October, November. So, your does that pressure situation or that pressure scenario play into your thinking about waiting? Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, for us in the development of our habitat, we are focused very heavily on hunting travel patterns. So, bedding to food, and then also the pre rut. So, for me, my favorite time to be in the woods is late October, getting into that pre-rut uh, time frame where bucks are on their feet. They're laying down a lot of signs. So they're hitting those mock scrapes, those travel corridors, and they're cruising more during the day. Uh, the buck I killed this last year was on October 25th. You know, textbook travel route, uh, travel corridor, mock scrape set up where, you know, I, I killed them in the evening hitting that mock scrape. What time did you and kill I, him? I forget the time of the, uh, on the clock. I'd have to look it up, but it was like, it was three minutes before 
shooting lights. So in the timber, okay. it was pretty dark. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. about, I, I got to check it that time of year. It's about six ten, six fifteen. Okay. Um, but basically, like I said, it was two or three minutes before final shooting light. Um, and I think I told that story on the blast podcast that so we can in more detail, but yeah, that, that one, I had a picture of him, um, on a cell cam 700 yards away on that same travel route. So that we, that, that evening. So we knew, um, that they're, they're on their feet and they're moving and, and we had several pictures in a couple of days prior. So it's time to be in the woods. But anyway, so that's that late October time frame. back to early season is, yes, you're right. If you have that little bit of a pattern, even if it's something, okay, he's doing this for a day or two. Yeah, you can jump on that, but I am concerned about blowing it up because I think that those, the amount, the amount of ground they're covering in that late October timeframe is really an optimal time to be hunting them. And I like to be doe hunting. And we talked about that just a minute ago. I like to be doe hunting in that first week or two uh, because those patterns are extremely predictable with those. They're fun hunts you can do with friends and you can do them from blinds. Uh, you can hunt right over your big food plots. Uh, and these are places that are more on your perimeters that you aren't going to be busting up uh, some of that inner core area. Um, if, you know, and especially if you have a lot of late season, when I say uh, habitat work, so late, late right now, August, early September, you're doing work. I want to let that timber and, and let the, let my property cool off and start to settle down. And I don't want to be putting any, any scent whatsoever in there. So I'm just, I'm trying to hold back and letting that pressure build so that that the property is optimal come mid late October. Gotcha. Do, do you think that it's too late? Like, let's say, uh, you know, I, I had the opportunity to go out and do some work with you back in, was that May? I think it was. I, I remember I had all my Sounds turkey right. gear in the yeah. car, so it must have been May, because uh, yeah. my yep. my car was just loaded down with turkey decoys. Um, if we we did a lot of work uh, in in a little bit of time and really dialed in a set, right? If yeah. it's if I hadn't gotten to that in May, would you consider it too late? Like if we were on that same piece of property hunting that same movement pattern, but I we just didn't get to it yet? Would you say, hey? You can get out and do that right now because we hung a mock scrape. We did some um, we did some hinge cutting to sort of direct travel and yep. cleared out an area right in front of where the hunter was going to be setting up uh, to mm-hmm. sort of encourage the movement about twenty five yards from the stand as much as possible. Is it too late for that? Absolutely not. And and really, that's a great thing to do. Sometimes the guy gets a plan. Like for for example, let's say I do a design plan for a guy and. And just this last uh, week, I was on a property and uh, meeting with the owner and just kind of, you know, overwhelmed. A plan that uh, for a large property, it, it, you know, if one, if you're, it's yourself or maybe yourself and a couple of buddies, it's going to take years to develop that. And you kind of get this, you, you know, you freeze up thinking, oh, there's so much to do. And what I told him is that, like, let's pick these two sets or maybe these three sets, just like you and I did, and go in there and build them. You hang the stand. You hang the mock scrape. Maybe there's a water hole. That'd be awesome to get into. But then you work on travel. You know, travel corridors can be hundreds of yards, but even just taking that and, and saying, let's go 50 yards in each direction and work on funneling that traffic to a point. You know, you hang a camera on that mock scrape. And again, that's like you described, 20, 25 yards in front of the stand. 
and then just back out of there and let it, let it sit and, and, you know, see what that camera's doing and be ready to hunt come October uh, with that setup. And, and that would be, again, more of a travel-based buck hunt uh, setup. Yeah, and one of the other things that you mentioned is um, trimming out shooting lanes for the year. Mm-hmm. When you're giving guys recommendations, I know a lot of folks, like if you're on public, you really can't cut a whole bunch. I forget what the exact rules are. I know you can trim some things like up to an inch and you got to be flush with the tree. And uh, I would encourage anybody to go check your regulations. I didn't think you could cut it all in public. Then I found some things that said you could or seemed to indicate that you could. Anyway, go check your regulations for that. But a guy that's got the ability to do some cutting, how are you going to tell him to do the cutting? Are you, are you going to go you know, big wide open lanes or are you really setting up for just a specific shot, you know, in three different areas or two different areas? Yeah. He kind of set me up on that with the description before and like in having that travel corridor in front of you and that mock scrape, most of my sets, I am focused on one shot and that is at that mock scrape. There might be uh, another shot, maybe 30 degrees each direction, 45 degrees each direction where you could have a second opportunity or if they pass through. But, you know, the buck I shot last year, I, I got to see him for 10, 15 seconds before he came to that mock scrape, but that was the only shot I had. But really it was the only shot I wanted. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm much more conservative maybe than some and that I want to make sure that that deer is locked on to something. And that mock scrape does it for me. I mean, I have thousands of pictures and videos of bucks on mock scrapes and they're going to take, anywhere from one, two, maybe five or two more seconds on that location. And if they're on that corridor, I know they're headed there. They, they can't avoid it. And they're going to at least know that thing. And, you know, for me, that's, that's the shot. Um, and, and it's just, it's making it a sure thing. Well, again, most of my shots, 20, 25 yards um, on those corridors. Sometimes there's a secondary corridor, maybe at 30 or 45 yards or 30 or 40 yards away that um, might present that opportunity, but the mock scrapes and also the water holes. And, and we haven't talked about this, but the topography too, um, you know, like the set we built, uh, the topography was what created that route to begin with. We didn't just go in there and say, this is where the deer are going to travel. It was the most pronounced route as it was because in hill country, uh, as people know, on the drainages that occur, you know, travels very well defined near the tops of those drainages. And all we're doing is leveraging that existing pattern, but really necking it down to a point where we know that deer is going to be at. And yeah, like that mock scrape, like I said, right on the path. Uh, so they can't avoid it. They're going to, they'd have to step around it uh, to, to not touch it. Did you ever, I, I got to know, did you ever circle back with that landowner to talk about the vine that we hung there? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mentioned meeting up with the guy. That was the property I was on. Okay. Whereas right. I, I walked him through the entire uh, setup and explained to everyone using that uh, example we built um, back in May as, you know, this is, this is how to do it, um, you know, as an example to him. And that's a lot of the work I enjoy doing too is, you know, I'm, I'm not into land management and the construction of these uh, as much, but just a little bit to show people, to teach people often building a set or working with them to build a set up and say, okay, now you have eight more of these to build. 
and you can go do them and know how to do them properly. Yeah. And that was, that was a site, like you said, the terrain was really dictating the deer movement already. And Mm -hmm. what would it have been probably a a 50 yard wide gap had we not done anything there. And what we did was really come in and dial that in to where, you know, you're going to get the shot right here in bow range rather than potentially sure. a deer p- crossing 45 or 50 out from you. And, and I did take the opportunity when we were there uh, just this last week to go look and some of those secondary trails, like you mentioned, there were some weaker trails a little further down towards the slope or down the slope. And uh, they were non-existent. You couldn't even find them. But the trail we had made was just worn to the dirt. Oh, and, that's awesome. And anybody who's built these knows what I'm talking about. It, you know, the, the ground just becomes like a uh, cattle trail and that it's just scooped out. And you, you haven't seen a, a travel corridor until you've had one of these built for a few years. And then you, you know that that's the only place you're going within a, say, a 80 yard wide uh, swath. Wow. That's, that's really cool to get, get a little bit of an update. I'm sure that's, I'm sure that's awesome from your perspective as well. You know, getting that kind of feedback from, from clients, you know, throughout the season, or Mm -hmm. I guess as, as seasons begin to, to roll on. Uh, so let's, let's talk a little bit about the food plot piece. You mentioned that a second ago, Mm -hmm. you said, maybe it's not too late. I think a lot of guys are probably like, uh Oh, I'm out of luck. What can we do if we haven't gotten any food plots in yet? Sure. So thinking with the context here of mid-August, it's getting late in the planting season. A lot of times guys are trying to get those done, say, from northern Wisconsin in late July uh, to southern Wisconsin by by the middle of August. Um, you know, as we stand here recording this first few days of August, the, our, our plots are just going in now, and there's some big rain coming this weekend. So that, that's ideal. But the growing season is much longer than that. And, and I think as long as you know, you can get uh, even four weeks and, and depending on where you're, where you're at in the state, you know, you're going to have still a good amount of growing season left. Some of these people that put these uh, brassica blends and turnips in and all this in, in July, you know, they're, they, they're looking at basketballs by the time the season is the growing season's done. And, and that isn't necessarily what you want. So I would say I could absolutely do that. If you have existing uh, food plots that you're just late on, I would say by all means get after them and get them in in August, you're going to be just fine. You may want to go heavier on the grains um, and uh, you know, a good go to all the time if you're late is to do a, a winter rye because you'll get that quick growth green up. You'll have something there when everything else is going brown. Uh, you got something that's green. And that's easy, but easily mix in there, uh, peas, beans, plenty late for beans to even trying to develop some, some kind of forage there. But I think peas could still do well for you. And it's not too late that you can still get some brassicas going if you're getting them in by the end of August. Even if you don't get much of, of a turnip there or, or if you're doing tillage radish or something, you're not going to get as much of that bulb growth, but you still can get some good forage. Uh, coming into fall and you, and you won't be disappointed. Um, oh, another way to accelerate that is to get back in there uh, three weeks later, hit it with, uh, with urea uh, 4600 and, and just try and give it a good jump, especially hitting it right before rain. And, and you'll be in good shape. You know, it's, it's a last season or a last ditch effort always would be even into middle of September, even late September in the South, Southern part of the state is to just go put winter rye out 
and that'll get you going. And, and also too, for those who follow on social media and all that, see the, the cover crop rotations, a lot of things I've been doing, getting that rye in is something I want anyway, because that's going to lead you into next spring and get you started on that program of doing crop rotation. Just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best point of view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. Their gear is made for outdoorsmen by outdoorsmen. Archery openers are just around the corner and Tacticam has just released several new products to help you share your hunt and take your scouting to the next level. Topping the list is their 6.0 point of view camera providing 4K footage and a user-friendly waterproof package. They've also just released the new Solo Extreme, giving you HD footage, 3 to 8x zoom, and one-touch operation. And Tacticam's lineup of point-of-view cameras is supported by the best mounts and adapters on the market. This fall, I'll be using their Bose stabilizer mount, as well as their bendy clamp mount to make sure my cameras don't miss any of the action. And last but not least, Tacticam just launched the Reveal X Pro. With no visible flash, built-in LCD screen, and built-in GPS tracking, the Reveal X Pro will help you take your scouting to the next level. You can learn more about these and Tacticam's entire line of products at Tacticam.com or RevealCellCam.com. This episode is also brought to you by DeerLab, the number one trail camera app for hunters and land managers. DeerLab gives you a simple way to store, organize, and analyze all of your trail camera data. DeerLab has tons of great features like the ability to filter photos based on what's in them, deer, turkeys, people, whatever. It syncs your photos with local weather to help you pattern your target. And you can even mass edit your timestamps, which is a great feature if you're like me and you occasionally forget to set the correct time on your camera. Head over to DeerLab.com to check them out. You can get a free trial on there for 30 days. And then when you're ready to buy, use the code Wisconsin at checkout for 20% off of any plan. Now let's get back to the show. So shifting gears then a little bit to the guy that's on uh, that's on public land, right? And you you mentioned mm-hmm. a couple of things for him. You mentioned trail cameras. You mentioned prepping sites. Where are you going to be hanging trail cameras at this time of year when it comes to a piece of public? Because there are, uh, you know, you can hang it out on the soybean field, which is going to blow up, you know, if you've got beans planted on your public or something like that. It's going to blow up, and then a couple of weeks into September, it's really going to begin to to dive off at the, you know. So where are you going to hang them? Are you, are you looking forward to the shift and trying to uh, hang in anticipation of a shift, or mm-hmm. are you just saying let's get some intel for right now? If you're, and there, there's both, right? So the intel right now would be is what, you know, what's hanging out here? What's, what am I able to or what, what could I have potential for if you're still in that scouting mode? It, it's not wrong to put it on an open field corner that you know there's going to be a lot of even nighttime traffic to see what's going on. I mean, that's what I'm doing on private land now is what, what do I have? My cameras are out in the open. A lot of the pictures are at night. I don't care. I just want to know what, what's hanging out. Um, even on some areas mile, miles away that I have permission on, I'm, I'm putting cameras out because I want to know is that buck that might shift to my property, that one that I saw last year, and I'm really hoping he comes, might he be hanging out in his summer ground right now? And is he alive? You know, so some of those things, like I'm thinking anticipation of that shift and you can do the same thing with public. Um, but more importantly, I'd say is depending on your hunting strategy or maybe even it's as simple as when you're able to hunt, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm not going to be able to hunt until, uh, you know, the peak of the rut, 
like that's when I'm able to go and I got that time frame set up and I'm going to go hunt this public land. I would be getting cameras on those pinch points that you know have been good travel or through your scouting, through your virtual planning, you're, you're looking at, I think these are good travel routes and you may be even just seeing doe activity, small bucks, but that's okay because you're thinking ahead to what is that rut time frame, And the fact that there's travel there is good because you're banking on, you know, that cruising time frame where bucks are on their feet and, you know, that's where you're going to get them. So I'd say it's, it's both and, but you're, you're, you're also thinking about where you're going to go for hunting. Me, myself, I'm, I'm generally always leaning toward the hunting setup. Like I said, even in the beginning of September, I'm shifting all my cameras to hunting. And that just has to do somewhat with function. I want to make sure I got, you know, the camera's secure, it's taking good pictures, it's got good battery life, the cell signal's working, if it's a cell cam, like all these things, like I don't want to be going in there to dink around with that camera in early October because I got a camera problem, you know, and, and not to say that, you know, not to say that that's, you know, you shouldn't have that if you, if you set it up properly, but at the same time, we all have those issues that happen. You got a, you know, for whatever reason, the batteries didn't work out or this or that. And it's, you hate to have to go in there. So I want to make sure that thing is set with fresh batteries in early September and it's going to make it through the rut. Yeah. Yeah. So for the guy that's on public, who's, you know, thinking about these pinch points or different spots, he says, man, I got, you know, like myself, I've got, I've got two weeks in November. Um, I did a lot of early season. Well, a good bit of early season hunting last year, had some success, couldn't close the deal, hunted in November, tagged out too early on a, uh, anyway, tagged out too early in my, in my, my hunting excursion there. Uh, so this year I was like, man, with the amount of movement and deer that I was seeing during the rut, I've really got to capitalize on this two week period. And so I'm putting kind of all of my eggs in, into that basket. How are you thinking about access when you can't get in there with like a brush mower and you can't do a lot of trimming for access? How are, how mm-hmm. are you planning for that at this time of year? So that type, and we're talking public or private or both really? Yeah. Let, let's talk public real quick and we okay, can, we yeah. can get into private, but I, but I think, no, that's good. I think with public, I think there's a lot there because you've got a couple of things you want. You want to get in quiet. You want to get in easily. You don't want yeah. anybody else to see where you're going, <laughs> you know, so yeah. you've got a, multiple factors that you're trying to deal with. Yeah. So to that end, I would say, you know, if you're thinking about that rut time frame, honestly, I think you, with your access, you can be a little sloppier. Now yeah. I wouldn't yeah. want to be, I wouldn't want to be walking on that trail, uh, that deer corridor, deer trail to get to the stand, for example. But I'm going to I'm going to say, Hey, when I'm in the stand, I think this is the movement. Well, you know, generally, where is that at? And, and try and avoid uh, polluting that when you're coming and going. Okay, so maybe from the, from the backside of that, looking and say, okay, from this stand, I can walk perpendicularly away from this movement, get to the edge of the public property, you know, the property line, and then walk whatever, due south to back to the truck. And that is you know, it's a less conventional route, you know, think in terms of not impacting what you're hunting versus what is the easiest, you know, physically the easiest route to get there. Uh, oftentimes it's following the perimeter property lines, you know, the, the borders and getting to that location and hunting it. Uh, in general, a tenant that I have is 
always hunt as close to your property line as you can. You're hunting the inside, you're hunting towards your property, but you're going to access along the property boundaries to get to that stand so that you're not impacting, you know, the interior of your property. Yeah. Generally that's a good tenant for especially small properties, but it applies to big ones too. And certainly the concept is there with public. You can't, uh, you can't control where other people go, but you can uh, do control what you're doing. And, and I think that's good. The other thing that time of year, you're hunting uh, more onto the interior properties and you're generally morning hunts. So you're getting in there early. And I would say simply put, you can, you can compensate for a lot of things by getting into that stand that much earlier, you know, to get into that stand an hour or even two before light, uh, to some might sound a little nutty, but if you're serious about that travel route and you know, you got a potential there, um, you can help yourself out by using darkness and taking your time to get into that stand because the easier route took you 15 minutes to get to the tree, but maybe the route you're going to take is, uh, you're going to, take 30 or 40 to get there because one, it's just more difficult and you're going to go slow because you don't want to be a sweaty mess by the time you get there. And, and two, you, you just, you're going to help yourself with time. You know, I'm just going to get there that much earlier. And I think that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, all right. So any other, any other last minute things that we haven't touched on? I kind of just ran through the list of what, what you threw out at the beginning did anything else come to mind where you're like, hey, you really need to to get on this thing? Maybe the best way of asking is, what's going to give me the most bang for my buck, right? Like I've got, we've got four weeks, let's say, and let's let let's bring it into real life. I've got three young kids. I can realistically use one of those four weekends because I want to hunt that first one. You know, I want I want to mm-hmm. be out in the woods. So so I'm going to take one of the weeks or one of the weekends or one of the Saturdays. I need to mm-hmm. really maximize the thing that I need to do. What is that? Mm-hmm. Two things come to mind. I'm going to cheat and say two. But That's perfect. The first one is out in the timber, and I'm going to say it is focusing on having, even if it's a couple or maybe it's three or four, having those sets really well done. I think it's, like we said before, it's easy to spread yourself out all over the property trying to do everything and hang cameras all over the place, but you know, really, if you need to focus down on making something really good and hunting less of the property, because by just the virtue of you leaving things alone, it can be more productive uh, for you, you know, less is more, so to speak. And that, you know, have, be really confident in a few setups and know why they're good, know when they're good and be satisfied with that. Enjoy it. Get out there and really, you know, be excited to go to that that location on October 25th and know why you're going there. Um, The other thing I was going to say, and this is something that for those of us who are hurried and rushed and short on time and all these things, one of the things that often goes to the wayside is practicing your shooting and prepping your gear and all of that stuff. And I would say it's a really simple thing to, to say, to make yourself a little checklist of what you're going to get done in the last four to six weeks leading up to the season. And, And one of them is, and you can hopefully do it at home or even in your basement is shoot your bow and get ready and be confident in your equipment. And, and with your gear too, looking things over, laying it out, getting all the, uh, you know, getting everything washed and ready and all those things that we do to our best practices for scent control and all those things. And just be 
be wise with your planning because you could do have the property that's perfect and you go in there and if you're not ready for the shot, um, all that work was, uh, for not. Gosh, that's painful to think about. That like hurt when you said that, <laughs> after all that work, you get in there and mess it up. And you know, I think that's a really good point for, for anybody. But if I'm thinking about like the mobile hunter, uh, the guy who mm-hmm. is, you know, bringing in sticks, bringing in a platform of some sort, maybe he's working with a saddle, maybe he just switched to a saddle and so he's got ropes and he's trying to learn rope management and all of that in concert with everything else, all the other moving parts, man, go out in your backyard and set up in a tree and then climb back mm-hmm. down, put all your gear back away and then do it again. Just, and just, yeah. just get those reps of getting comfortable so that you can not just get up into the tree, but do it quietly and as efficiently as possible. Now don't say as quickly as possible because just get there. However early you need to, you know, what is it? Um, sm- smooth is slow and sl- s- wait, however you say that slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Is that right? Sure. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> I know what you mean. Just don't, don't be out there clanking sticks together because you don't know what you're doing with your gear. The opposite end of the spectrum, which I would just bring up if you have time and, uh, and this is something you can do with kids and it really is an enjoyable thing too. Is if you have the time right now in mid August to be watching weather, you know, are there fall weather changes? And especially as we get these cold fronts. And when I say cold front, I mean any change from day to day that's, you know, more than 10, 15 degrees. If it's, it could be 85 today and 70 tomorrow, that's a big change. And and that, that'll continue to change as the fall goes on. But anytime we have a big change in that temperature, the deer activity is going to be really heightened. And if you can get out there and maybe you have a, a stand, uh, that you can kind of, you can survey things and see, you know, the whole landscape or get in one of your blinds or, you know, something that's easy to access without putting a lot of impact on your land. And, and you know, this is preseason. This isn't even into hunting time. It just, uh, survey what's going on. And maybe you'll learn things that can then benefit you coming into hunting season, especially trying to take advantage of those first few weeks and, you know, see what's going on because, that could repeat itself that next cold front, which happens to be in the season. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, getting out and doing a couple of observation sits this time of year. And, I, mm-hmm. you know, one thing that I'm learning more and more uh, and, and trusting more and more is that my trail cameras don't always show me everything that's there. You know, how many times have you been sitting in a stand and watch a deer walk behind the camera? Um, I've got a, a trail camera now out in my backyard and we had five deer in our yard the other evening and not a single one of them passed by that camera just because mm-hmm. they're, they're not, I've got it set up on the best trail there. They just decided not to walk on the best trail. They decided to walk somewhere mm-hmm. else. So I would have never known that those deer were, were there. Or I've had a lot of instances where I've seen multiple deer and maybe only one of them crosses in front of the camera. So getting out there, putting your actual eyes on the area and seeing, okay, this is where the deer are moving. This is how many deer are coming out. This is what you can expect. And I wanted to come back to something you said a minute ago too about getting a set dialed in or a stand dialed in. Uh, Bill Winky, I was listening. I mean, you know who Bill Winky is, Midwest mm-hmm. Whitetail founder. A uh, guy had a thousand acre farm in Southern Iowa. He just bought some land in Northern Iowa. I've been there. It's beautiful. Oh my, <laughs> you've been on the property? I've Well, I've been not 
certainly by his invite or, you know, on the grounds. But I, I had another client that was having to be just a few miles away from there. Gotcha. And uh, I took the opportunity to drive every road around every property. And I'm oh, like, sure. I think I might recognize a couple of these sets. So anyway, yeah, yeah. Well, going. what he said, you know, he had a thousand acres and he was talking about how he hunted it towards the end and he had narrowed it down to six spots. Yeah. Right on. Six spots on a thousand acres. And he said, mm-hmm. I just knew that if I sat in those six spots, I would see pretty much any buck on the farm that I wanted to see, mm-hmm. which is, which is absolutely insane. And it, and it goes against a lot of how we often think about hunting, but yeah, get your one or two spots dialed in or whatever it is, maximize those so that when you get there, you can say, this is a high odds place, you know, of all yeah, the places I have, I have, this is it. I have three. Wow. Wow. You know, and, and, and that's on, well, we have permission to hunt 400 acres there, but on our 40 and like the surrounding 80. So basically one on 120, I got three. Wow. And how often are you sitting those? Uh, I'm curious cause you're care- You're really careful with your pressure earlier in the season. Are you a guy that's like, Hey, I'm going to bounce around between them come the rut. Or are you going to say, I'm going to sit right here because eventually he's walking by. I'd say it's more the, the second. I'm, I'm not going to volley around too much. A lot of it is going to be dependent on when it is, exactly when it is. You know, and, and I know in each of those locations, the, the factors that play in for me. But uh, also um, access and, and then wind, wind direction, because wind's going to play in a lot. And, and I'm, I'm a lot more reckless in the rut, certainly on wind, because I think it's a whole lot less impactful, but it can bust you pretty bad at the moment of truth um, if, if it's uh, not the right setup. Yeah, yeah. Well, good deal, man. I, I think we've got a, a good bit to chew on when it comes to all of this. For those who didn't catch our previous episode, uh, that was episode number 28 of the podcast. They can go and kind of find out uh, a little bit more in depth of what you do. But I did just want to ask here at the end, like, what all services do you offer with Whitetail Partners? Yeah, thanks, Josh. The, you know, the, the focus I have is helping people make good plans for their property. And with that, a couple different ways that I do it. Um, the, first, uh, the first option is just to have a Q&A session. We sit down, we have a Zoom meeting, we you know, go through the property and pick it apart and just have good dialogue on that. It's a couple hour meeting, a one-off thing. And uh, it's pretty simple just to help people, especially those that have been hunting property for a long time and uh, just want a new, new perspective on it. Uh, next step up from there would be working and doing a similar thing where we're discovering the property virtually and doing that, you know, the study of various maps and topography and all this and that. And, um, working on a full design for the property virtually without having visited. But, uh, the, the full, um, process would be to uh, go and meet and usually spend a day or two, depending on the size of the property, scouting it and, um, you know, discussing habitat improvement and all the things that I've worked on throughout the years that I implement into the plan and, uh, learn that property inside and out and then develop a plan for that owner. All the plans that I do, I draw in Google earth. They have uh, tons of historic imagery and, and detail to them. You know, a typical 60 or 80 property or 60 or 80 acre property uh, might have two to 300 points on it. As far as uh, details of all these things we've been talking about, travel routes, bedding, 
food plots, stand locations, hunter access, all of that. So I lay it all out and uh, help people, uh, you know, get a plan for the property. Uh, and then finally helping them implement. I, I do layout. That's a big thing too, is transferring the plan to the property, doing uh, layout with ribbons, flags, things like that to help them understand it, often working with them to describe what's going on. Um, and then a little bit on the land management side of basically teaching them uh, the skills of how to go about building that and maybe getting them connected with uh, some other professionals to, to help build the ground for them. Yeah. And I, after doing a little bit of this with you, I would say that piece of, of uh, manifesting the plan onto the landscape is huge. I mean, I, I could look at the map before and kind of tell, okay, this is this. But man, when you start actually flagging things or I started walking around and seeing where you had flagged things, it mm-hmm. really, really helped my understanding personally of like, oh, now I can see it. You know, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure after a while, I'm sure you can look at one of your plans and say, ah, I see it because you've seen enough of it in 3D. But I think taking that from, from the paper to the actual property, uh, man, that's absolutely, absolutely huge. So when is the best time for folks to reach out to you? Cause I learned also when I was yeah. with you that a lot of what you do is time sensitive because we were out there in May and it was getting really hard to see flagging and tough to see, you know, travel corridors and that kind of thing that we were trying to, to mm-hmm. encourage. So when's the best time to reach out to you? Yeah. So for the Q and a meetings or the virtual design, those can be done really at any time, but the, the heart of the, the onsite planning is, uh, right from when hunting season's done, uh, most for most people that's in December, uh, up through green up, uh, and, and generally I'll say May first, um, maybe April first further south. But um, you know that's the time we want to be in the in the woods for two reasons. One, you can see everything. The you know it's like a jungle out there now, and it's very difficult to see features, especially uh, sign, and even more so sign that's relevant to the hunting season. We get out there. And to see fresh sign in December or January, you couldn't ask for a better time to be dissecting a property and understanding how to hunt it uh, in season. So I'm booking right now. I'm working with people or, you know, getting people set up to go uh, starting as soon as the first week of December after they're done gun hunting and, uh, and speaking specifically with Wisconsin now. Um, and uh, booking January, February as well to come out to people's properties and see it because that's the, that's the best time to lay eyes on it. And then we'll spend the, the winter getting designs done and have them ready to hit the ground come spring. Because uh, as far as habitat work goes, the, some of the best months to get work done are as soon as that snow melts, you know, that March, April timeframe is really the best time to be out uh, making impacts to your property for, uh, for whitetail. Very good. Well, Sam, where would you send folks who say, all right, I'm interested. I want to learn a little bit more. Sure. Well, the website's easy. That's whitetailpartners.com. And then uh, social media is the same, whitetail, at Whitetail Partners. That's on Instagram or Facebook, uh, either one. And then my phone number's there too. You can grab it and uh, give me a call. I'd be happy to talk with them. Yeah, and I would encourage folks, if you're not already, uh, follow Sam on Instagram because you put up a lot of really good stuff, a lot of really relevant and timely information that is really informative and educational. It's not your typical Instagram post. <laughs> you know, it, it actually they actually teach you something. And so if you're not already, go follow Whitetail Partners because, um, yeah, you're going to learn a lot. 
Well, thank you very much, Josh. That's generous. Appreciate your time today to talk through these things and get people excited for the season. And, um, you know, hopefully everybody's able to get out and make a couple sets and get ready to be ready to go. Absolutely. We've got a little bit of time left. So, Sam, thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate it. And uh, good luck this fall. You too, Josh. Thanks. And that is all for this week's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks to Sam for coming on the show again. Looking forward to checking in with him here in a couple of weeks. Also, big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Deer Lab. The evenings are starting to cool off. It's getting to be that time of year. Get outside, get your shooting in, your shooting practice, uh, get your scouting in, get your trail cameras out. Do whatever it is that you need to do to be totally ready for that season opener whenever it rolls around. Whatever it is, just make sure that you are doing something to get outside and enjoy the incredible resource that is ours as Wisconsin sportsmen.